Good morning. Um, welcome to the next event in our almost 20 years of Longwood's Breakfast. Um, I'm excited to have everybody here with us this morning. Today's event promises to be a good one. Uh, over the last 18 months or so, I have been uh, following Neil Fraser and Medtronic, and uh, they have made some wonderful corporate gestures uh, in support of the health systems in Canada, the US, and more. Uh, big kudos to them. Before we get started, uh, for those of you who have not had the opportunity to meet me before, I am Matthew Hart, CEO for Longwoods and producers of these events. To moderate today's event is another person I'm a big fan of. Uh, I would like to turn things now over to Sarah Downey, the president and CEO for Michael Guerin Hospital in Toronto. Sarah, the floor is yours. Thank you, Matt, and uh, good morning, everyone. What an exciting day this is. I'm delighted to welcome one of global healthcare's most driven and innovative executives, Jeff Martha. As chairman and CEO of Medtronic, Jeff leads the $30 billion company and its 90,000 employees in pursuit of fulfilling Medtronic's mission, which is to use technology to improve human welfare. Under Jeff's leadership, Medtronic is putting the tech in MedTech leveraging the latest advances in technology to transform healthcare, including robotics, machine learning, and artificial intelligence. Jeff became CEO in April 2020, in the very early days of the COVID-19 pandemic, and has been with the company since 2011. He notably led the acquisition and integration of Covidian, the largest acquisition in the medical technology industry. But before I pass it over to Jeff, I'd also like to introduce his colleague, and someone who is no stranger to the healthcare system, Neil Fraser. Neil is the president of Medtronic Canada. He's a member of the Federal Health and Biosciences Economic Strategy Table, and was a member of both the Federal Advisory Panel on Healthcare Innovation, often referred to as the Naylor Table and Report, and the Ontario Health Innovation Council. His numerous publications on the topic of healthcare innovation, and this week launched his podcast series called The Next 100 which celebrates the 100th anniversary of the discovery of insulin by discussing the next 100 years of health innovation with Canadian luminaries. We will chat with Medtronic leaders in the Q&A session shortly, but for now, I'll pass it over to Jeff. Over to you. All right. Uh, well, thank you, Sarah, and, and, and hello, everybody. Um, uh, appreciate the, uh, the kind introduction, and um, uh, yeah, thank you for moderating the session today. I'm looking forward to to the dialogue here. I you know I've been asked to to talk a little bit about some of the lessons learned over the pandemic, and, um, and so I, I dive into that. And I want to make sure we save time. I know you have the the Q and A afterwards, uh, Sarah. With that, Sarah will be moderating with with Neil and I. So I look forward to that. So, as Sarah said, I'm Jeff Martha, Medtronic Chairman and CEO. I've uh, been in the role for about 18 months uh, and started uh, just just right after the uh, World Health Organization declared. COVID-19, a global pandemic. So it was an interesting time to, uh, to take over this, this, this company. Uh, it's, it's, been, it's been a challenging time, but it's also been a very exciting time uh, to see how Medtronic uh, and, and other uh, industry players uh, can help solve complex healthcare challenges in, in new ways. Uh, you know, innovation and, 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 and collaboration are more important than ever. And, and um, you know, complex and, and chronic diseases are, you know, they're on the rise. They may have taken a bit of a backseat uh, during COVID-19, but they've actually been compounded by COVID-19 as these, uh, you know, these elective cases have been deferred. Uh, at the same time, 
disparities in access, uh, you know, cannot, uh, you know, have gotten worse and have been highlighted and need to be addressed in, in what I need to be addressed in creative, but also sustainable ways across healthcare systems. I'd say also healthcare technology is, is advancing and evolving rapidly and remote care options, artificial intelligence and, you know, virtual training and support can all help solve some of the issues I just mentioned. And look, Medtronic is in the middle of this. We're at the nexus of, of healthcare and, and technology at a, at, a, at a time that is, it couldn't be more important and, and, and more excited. And I'm excited to, to share what we're doing to advance innovation and, 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 and produce better outcomes. Today, I, I thought I'd, I'd provide a brief background on Medtronic. I know many of you know about us, but uh, I just wanna make sure your brief background on Medtronic and our mission, uh, which is to contribute to human welfare uh, and review some of our key products and therapies uh, and share some examples of how we've been you know, using the power of healthcare technology and our incredible global team to create new partnerships and serve customers and, and patients during the pandemic. And like I said, uh, following this, we have the dialogue, which I'm looking forward to, uh, you know, the, the open Q&A, and, and Neil Fraser will be joining me for that, who, as you, as you know, is president of our uh, Medtronic uh, Canada. So it, it, uh, you see here on this slide, this is our mission, and to understand Medtronic, uh, it, you have to understand the most important part, which is our, our mission. You know, we're a technology company that uh, likes to push the limits of innovation and, and challenge ourselves to create high quality therapies that uh, address, lean right into some of healthcare's um, most difficult challenges and improve people's lives. And now for six decades, the Medtronic mission has, has remained the same. We haven't really, we haven't changed a word of it to to invent and develop technology, which is to alleviate pain, restore health and extend life for people all around the world. And, and the words of our mission uh, are as relevant today as they were uh, when it was written uh, you know, six decades ago. And as you look at this, uh, if you look at like 10 at five here or uh, the personal worth of employees, 10 at six, you know, talks about good citizenship. These were not, um, today these are common terms, but back in 1960, uh, you know, most, uh, you know, organizations, particularly, you know, for-profit companies, we're not talking about these. And this is something that's, it's, it's really part of our DNA. So if you move on to the next slide here, uh, a little bit about the, the history. Um, we started as a pacemaker company, but through the years of, um, through the three years of innovation and, and, and collaboration, we vastly expanded our, our, our footprint and our capabilities. Today, we, we create innovations at the therapeutic, procedural, and at the system level that treat more than 70 conditions in the human body. And our technologies improve the lives of more than 72 million people uh, last year alone. That, that equates to, if you do the math, two patients every second. Uh, and, and while that may sound like a lot, there are still so many patients who could be benefiting from our therapies who do not, which we'll talk about today. And you have my commitment that, that you know, we're, we, will work, we are working hard and will continue to work hard to expand our reach to, to many more patients in the future. And, and, and we'll talk about how technology is the key to doing that. If we advance uh, to the next slide here, our, uh, one change we recently made to help accelerate our innovation is our, our structure. Uh, you see here on this page, we, we reorganized the company into 20 operating units. Each of them are focused on a specific condition or maybe a narrow set of conditions. Uh, and this narrow focus is enabling our businesses to be more nimble, act with speed and, and get closer to uh, our customers and the patients that they serve. And, and this is important because 
um, in, in the med tech space, there, uh, there's lots of technologies and there's lots of startups uh, that are well-funded and, and innovation is moving quickly. So we had to make sure our structure enabled speed and, and empowerment and, and, and our culture um, is talking about decisiveness here and, and moving and, and, and being bold. So we've, this, this structure amplifies our ability to accelerate uh, the innovation as well as collaboration with, with our customers and the other, other uh, industry players in ways that 18 months ago uh, we really couldn't do. And we didn't change, uh, though, um, the one thing we didn't change is our commitment to our patients and, and, like I said, the Medtronic mission. It's stayed the same for 60 years, and I anticipate it will continue on for, you know, another 60-plus. If we uh, go to the next page, I'll, I'll shift gears here and talk about um, some of the lessons learned and actions we took during the pandemic. You know, what you see up here is uh, our guiding principles as we entered the pandemic of um, you know, making sure that we, that we were uh, able to uh, fulfill our mission and getting our products to our, 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 our customers and healthcare partners and you know, acting responsibly in our communities, uh, mitigating the spread of the disease. And uh, because even though our factories were, were open, we made sure that, and, and running at full speed, we were making sure that these are safe places and, and not a place where they, COVID-19 spread and, and protecting the health and well-being of our employees and their families. These are the guiding principles. And um, it, it really helped guide us along with our mission, you know, through, through the, uh, through the uh, pandemic. And, uh, you know, over the last 18 months, I'd have to say, I, you know, I've learned a lot um, and had to make a lot of decisions in a pretty quick uh, period of time and especially being new. And, and look, the, these guiding principles and our mission really made that dis those decisions uh, a lot easier. Uh, you know, and I know it's become a bit cliche at this point uh, about COVID changing everything, uh, but it did change a lot for us, including the way we innovate and the way we work with partners uh, that, frankly, we didn't even really imagine uh, as we, you know, going in before this pandemic. The pandemic presented the world, uh, you know, with an unprecedented challenge, which, you know, which required, a, you know, an unprecedented response including, uh, you know, like many of you uh, and our team at Medtronic. And I'm extremely proud of the way our employees have risen to the occasion and jumped uh, in to help healthcare workers, governments, and NGOs around the world, and for the way they've continued to support their communities and their families as well. You know, we've been at the service of medical professionals and healthcare systems around the world throughout this whole uh, pandemic and continue to do that. And we've developed and rapidly deployed new remote procedure support uh, and monitoring solutions, which I'll show you in a second, to reduce patients and clinicians' exposure to the virus. And in, during this time of need, we also uh, you know, are, have been supporting our communities, uh, as it says here on the slide. The Medtronic Foundation has pledged more than 50 million US dollars in, in monetary and product donations uh, to nearly 50 uh, diverse BIPOC-led organizations uh, so they can invest in their community responses. Uh, if we shift to the, the next page, we'll get into some of these more specific lessons learned. I'd, I'd like to take uh, some time to walk you through uh, a few examples uh, of, of how we, uh, uh, the pandemic really pushed us to, to rapidly innovate and, and, and creatively uh, you know, collaborate to, to better provide care for people who needed it, no matter where they were located around the world. Uh, one example that I think many of you might be familiar with, uh, the, the, the acute care, the acute need for ventilators as life-saving devices 
and the and the management of COVID nineteen essentially happened overnight. It, I still remember it was in in, in New York City uh, where this whole run on ventilators started, uh, especially when the, the the governor at the time of New York, uh, Governor Cuomo, and Michael Dowling, who's the CEO of a, a large health system in New York City, said they they needed about five hundred thousand ventilators just for New York City. Uh, that created a you know effectively a run on the bank, a run on ventilators. We had everyone from around the world calling us asking for more ventilators. Um, and, um, you know, that, that, then, then the next day they will call back and, and demand more ventilators. And, and we're roughly, you know, almost a third of the world's critical care ventilators. And uh, pre-pandemic, we supplied um, uh, the, the, one of our ventilator lines, the PB560, like the one shown here, to 35 countries around the world. But during the pandemic, governments were threatening to shut down borders to prevent ventilators from moving across country boundaries. And the demand far outstripped the supply uh, of not only Medtronic, but, but all ventilator manufacturers. Uh, it was by, by a lot. So we, you know, we were forced, you know, we were trying to create, you know, think creatively. Um, and so we decided to, to make this ventilator uh, that you see here uh, on the, on the uh, bottom right. Um, uh, we, you know, we tried to, we decided to make these specs available online and open source. Um, and so others could, um, help us innovate and solve some of our problems and scaling and some of the obstacles, but also manufacture ventilators during the pandemic. It was clear that early on that, that, that we couldn't do this on our own, no one company, no one entity, and we needed some help. So, you know, we, um, we thought open sourcing would be a, a great way to, um, you know, see what uh, help is out there. And, and through all this, uh, we increased our internal production of ventilators fivefold uh, from uh, prior to the pandemic. So five, we, you know, in, in a very short period of time, we ramped up our ventilator production, our internal ventilator production five times. In addition to that, uh, created uh, some additional capacity on top of that by partnering with um, you know, different uh, organizations around the world, one of which is, is in Canada. Um, so some of the partnerships I, I'll highlight one with SpaceX. So, so one of the, the biggest challenges, like I said, of, of scaling these ventilators is the supply chain. Uh, these, these, these ventilators have a lot of parts from a lot of different suppliers and, and across many different countries. And some of these parts are in short supply and, and, uh, SpaceX, you know, Elon Musk helped us, uh, you know, with one component part that they happen to make, uh, for their spacecraft. It's a, it's a valve that moves the gas around. And just, if you think about it, a, a ventilator is a, a life support system and, you know, you need life support systems in space as well. So that was an interesting partnership. Intel helped us with some, uh, you know, um, you know, a more powerful computer chip that we were able to put in there and work in the software around that, that enabled us to remotely control the ventilators from outside of the ICU. So if healthcare workers didn't have to go inside the ICU with the aerosolized COVID, you know, we also put all of, our, our, our um, not just ours, but all of our um, competitors' uh, operating manuals, user manuals into one application. Uh, we formed a training, a ventilator training alliance so that, that healthcare workers around the world that were dealing with a lot of new ventilators could go to one source if they had questions on how to use it. So those are just some of the things in ventilators. If you, if you shift to the next slide here, you know, it talks about some, some monitoring, some you know, makeshift ICUs we created uh, with healthcare partners in, in, in this one in New York City. Um, so as you know, New York City was with heart, hit pretty hard. They have almost 9 million residents. 
and um, their infrastructure couldn't handle all the COVID patients. And so the healthcare workers needed a way to remotely monitor vital signs of patients admitted. Uh, and, and we created a stand-up uh, mass ICU in a large convention center called the Javits Center. And we quickly installed several technologies to create a system that allowed clinicians to remotely monitor all these patients in this Javits Center convention center in New York. And we set up an operation like this normally takes weeks or longer. We are able to do it over a weekend. Uh, remote technology was vital to, to this whole thing and, and vital to fighting the pandemic. And uh, it's another example how we use technology to uh, partner with hospitals uh, to um, you know, combat the, 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 the pandemic. In this case, our technology allowed 10 clinicians uh, to monitor over 400 patients in this makeshift ICU. And based on the lessons learned in this example, Medtronic has been partnering with hospitals and health ministries around the world to implement solutions like this, especially at the height of the pandemic, you know, more broadly. And, and as we face further healthcare crises, I think this is a model that can be leveraged. If we switch to the, to the next page here, another example um, of how we came across certain capacity constraints, um, you know, capacity constraints for non-COVID patients was another huge issue for health systems, you know, and uh, during the pandemic. And in many cases, you know, in, in many cases, screenings, procedures, and surgeries continued to be postponed, as you knew, or even or even canceled. Um, and, and here's an example of a colon cancer uh, situation. So colon cancer is the second deadliest cancer worldwide. It also is very preventable, yet, you know, um, uh, if we catch it in time. So uh, because of the deferred, uh, because of COVID, a lot of these screenings, you know, in the form of colonoscopies were, were canceled and delayed and pushed out. And, but we have a solution here. It's something called PillCam. It's a capsule endoscopy that can be done at home to screen for polyps uh, that may require treatment. Um, and I'm excited to share that we, you know, already uh, have impacted thousands of patients globally with this technology. Um, you know, for example, in the UK, the National Health Service became overwhelmed you know, with, you know, now that it's restrictions from COVID are lifting, they have this massive waiting list for uh, colon cancer or for colon cancer screenings for uh, colonoscopies, hundreds of thousands of colonoscopies have been canceled. So um, the, the, they were concerned about these patients pre presenting themselves later with, with cancer. So PillCam gave them an option to visualize the colon without the risk of infection or, you know, going to the hospital. Um, you know, in this case, uh, the pill cam is shipped to a patient's home. We partnered with Amazon uh, and the patient can take this capsule at home and just the capsule. Uh, the images, the video images of their colon are beamed to their phone and, and you can't see it on your phone though. And then into the cloud where we run AI against the, uh, the video and uh, alert the physician about the outcome of that uh, virtual colonoscopy. And, and uh, you know, seven out of 10 patients, you know, typically don't, have an issue and don't need to go in the hospital. The other three out of 10 would need to go in and get a, a polyp uh, you know, removed. So this created a lot of capacity uh, for the national, you know, for NHS in, in the UK. Uh, um, and we're really excited about this. And this, this is a technology we'll be globalizing. Um, you know, going to the next page here, another example, uh, which is more a Canadian example, don't want to overlook Canada, where we've used the power of innovation and collaboration to alleviate challenges magnified uh, uh, during the pandemic. So as you know, Canada has half the number of ICU beds per capita as the United States. I didn't really know that coming into the pandemic. It was a, a Neil has since educated me. Um, and this issue, coupled with travel restrictions across the uh, country, put an enormous strain on healthcare 
systems across the company, so, country. So leveraging technology to overcome some of these challenges was, was critical. You know, Medtronic Canada partnered with the Jewish General Hospital in Montreal, along with the, um, the uh, Augur Group uh, Council to pioneer the first application of Microsoft HoloLens for use in real-time extended um, reality uh, you know, clinical support for minimally invasive procedures, uh, in this case, to replace a heart valve. So there's a, another you know, great, um, you know, great example. If you go to the next page here, I know I'm running short on time. Uh, you know, here's another example as part of our initiative to provide um, you know, uh, some more remote uh, capabilities, Medtronic proposed deployment of the, our, what we call our CareLink Express mobile platform for the Ottawa Heart Institute. Um, uh, the Ottawa Heart Institute now remotely follows uh, more than 50 patients uh, with Medtronic uh, implanted devices as part of this program. Uh, and these, these, these patients are uh, in, a, in a, a remote uh, area, uh, which I don't, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right. I've, I've been to a lot of places in Canada, especially growing up as a hockey player, but I've never been to Ecolit, I think is how you say it. I'm not quite sure, uh, but that's where these patients are. And we're now remotely monitoring them and it, it prevents you know, those patients uh, from having to come to Ottawa or the Ottawa physicians having to go uh, visit these patients. And this is the first CareLink Express Mobile Clinic um, took place here two months ago in, in August of 2021, uh, and it's been very well received. So these are some of the examples in Canada. So if you go to the next page, just kind of summarize some lessons learned during the pandemic. Uh, you know, as I reflect back over the last 18 months, um, you know, just the other day, I was just thinking about this, when we put this, this, this kind of slide together, there, there are a number of lessons learned, which I think are going to have far reaching impact, you know, first of all, what we're calling remote everything prior to the, the, you know, prior to the pandemic, people were very tentative to adopt remote approaches to healthcare, even though a lot of the technology was there. But, you know, because of the pandemic, we quickly, you know, many quickly embraced this, uh, everything that was offered remotely, patient visits, device checks, patient management, physician training, like we just shot with the HoloLens, connections with coworkers, and the, and the list goes on. So I think this is here to stay, and we're not going back uh, to the way we did it before. And I say we, I mean the collective, you know, we, um, I was just at a U.S. hospital um, uh, earlier in the week uh, that does a lot of bariatric surgery, and they told me they're getting rid of the bricks and mortar that they have reserved for, you know, uh, um, patient visits that, uh, in the, the, all the work leading up to the surgery. And they're now doing this, you know, all hundred percent virtually. So, um, I, I think this is, you know, the remote, everything for all these different interactions with, with many, with many interactions with patients, not all, but many, um, you know, physician training, monitoring of patients, monitoring, uh, and reprogramming of implantable devices all can be done remotely. Um, Another lesson learned is, is, is just the collaboration and the partnerships. You know, when our backs were against the wall, you know, we got very creative with partners, moved quickly. You know, we didn't, you know, usually, uh, you know, we spent a lot of time with contracts and things like that. And then you get to the work, you know, we just started with the work and did the contracts in parallel and, and we moved, you know, much faster is one example. Um, you know, we had a lot of unique partnerships, like, you know, uh, and, and, and it really contributed to our innovation, our, our thinking, and our results. I mentioned Intel, you know, you know SpaceX. It was just, um, uh, just a, a really, um, uh, the last 18 months is a, a really great experience collaborating with all sorts of organizations, including governments. And this will be a, continue to be a central part of, 
you know, what, how Medtronic moves forward. And I think many in our industry as well. And then finally, just technology. I, like I said, I started the, the, the discussion off on, there's so much innovation going on in technology. And I, I really do think it's the path forward here for, you know, for, for healthcare. I, more than ever, um, patients, healthcare officials, physicians, hospitals, aren't willing to make trade-offs between, you know, the three, what we call universal healthcare needs of improved patient outcomes, improved access for patients of all type of patients, uh, including um, those in low resource environments or disadvantaged uh, cohorts of people and uh, lowering the cost. And we've seen that just, you know, asking people to work harder and work longer or, you know, it, it's burning people out or, and where there's a real resource constraint on, you can't just hire more people. There are constraints on healthcare workers out there. The only path forward, I believe, is, is technology to solve these three uh, challenges uh, without making trade-offs. And we're at a, at a time where technology innovation is uh, really accelerated and there's lots of great applications uh, in the healthcare. We talked about, you know, Data and, data and AI is having a profound impact on, on what we're doing here for, for one example. And I would also, I mean, I'm seeing governments around the world, I was just in Europe last week, really shifting their thoughts on investing in healthcare as, as thinking of healthcare, not as an expense, a necessary expense, but more of a strategic investment. And we're, you know, there, there's lots of studies out there that, that show a dollar invested in better health you know, it equates to anywhere from two to four dollars of um, economic benefit. So, you know, healthcare can be an economic driver as well. And and um, I, I think as we as all this technology presents itself in the healthcare system, I do think uh, in parallel to introducing this to the healthcare system, we we have to continue to move more to value-based models. And I know my predecessor Omar Ishrak spoke to you a few years ago about value-based care. This is still. Uh, you know, a really important element of our strategy. Uh, and I, I'm, I know Canada is, is, is a health system is, is embracing this as well. And uh, I know it's uh, forefront of many of your minds, you know, this is something that we remain committed to as well. So lots of great innovation, but the payment models have to be tied to value. Um, and, and I'm confident that this innovation will deliver that value. So, you know, in closing, I'd just like to say there, I really do believe there is a silver lining here from the pandemic. It's uh, this crisis has uh, forced us to be more creative. It's accelerated uh, uh, the adoption of technology traditionally reserved outside of med tech and, and healthcare and, and bring it into to healthcare. And it's, 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 it's created a, a lot of, um, you know, better outcomes for patients and healthcare workers for that matter. And then the, the partnerships, the more uh, collaborative approach that we took, you know, between industry and governments and, and hospitals and physicians through the pandemic, I, I hope will uh, continue as we move forward because it, it just, it, you know, even though there was a crisis looming, uh, it did feel good to work in that way, in that shape. And so I, I hope that will, will continue. So at this point, I wanna turn it over, turn it back to Sarah uh, and, and, and invite Neil to join me so we can, uh, move on with uh, some Q&A here. And, and thanks for the opportunity to, to speak to you today. And uh, thanks for that, uh, Jeff. There's lots I know to explore uh, from our audience and I have a few questions to get us kick-started. 
Um, but Jeff, you mentioned this briefly, uh, but you were captain of the Penn State men's hockey team and later inducted into its Hockey Hall of Fame. Just wondering who your favorite Canadian hockey player is and who your favorite Canadian hockey team is. Well, the team is a tough one, but my favorite player um, by far um, is Mary Lemieux. I mean, I know he played uh, for the Pittsburgh Penguins where I grew up, uh, but he was by far, I mean, he, to watch him play, uh, he could do things that no one else can do. I know Gretzky's still the, the greatest, but if I could pick one player to, to watch because uh, of his physical gifts, his size, his grace, it would be uh, Mary Lemieux. Great. And I don't know on my favorite Canadian team. I, 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 always, I still remember as a little kid in Pittsburgh when the Montreal Canadiens came to town and they had all the, the red away uniforms and I'd never seen anything so bright on the ice. Uh, and plus I was in awe because, you know, they were fresh off of, you know, whatever the, at that time in the, in the 80s, they already had 20 some Stanley Cups. And so um, I was in awe of them. I'll say that. I don't know if they're my favorite, but I definitely in awe of them. That's great. Thanks. Um, so I know Medtronic has won a lot of awards for diversity in, 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 and inclusion, both Canada and globally. Why is this so important for your organization? And uh, what's the basis of the strategy? So maybe we as healthcare organizations can learn a bit from your experience. Well, I mean, like why it's important is, is look, we're um, for a couple of reasons. I, I, when you have a company is, 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 big as ours, but you don't need to be big and as complex as ours. You know, the decisions we're making are often complicated and not clear cut. I mean, same, I think like a, a hospital as a, or a, um, a government official also make, you know, these are complicated decisions and you need people around the table making those decisions that look at it different ways and have diversity of thought and diversity of background. And, and I'm um, a big believer that, that this is um, makes organizations better when you have diversity of thought, diversity of background. And, and uh, so, you know, ethnic diversity, uh, gender diversity, that doesn't guarantee you diversity of thought, diversity of background, but they are highly correlated. They are leading indicators. And so, um, you know, with, we think it makes us a better company. Uh, that's one reason. Uh, the other is, that um, our employees, it's important for them. Um, we're a tech company and, uh, and we're in competition for, for all talent, especially technology talent. And you know, they wanna work more and more these days for, with a company that's aligned to their values. And, and um, our, our, uh, the type of employees that we're, we aspire to have uh, at our company and uh, this matters to them. They wanna work in a diverse environment and it's important to them. And, and so, uh, and, and our customers as well, as we go out and talk to customers, you know, they want to see a diverse Medtronic show up and a Medtronic that reflects the diversity of their patients and their physicians. And so that's why it's important. I'd say a key to this though, it has to be authentic. You can't be doing this because it's politically correct. It's sort you, 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 that won't work. Uh, you'll, you know, I think you really need to have an authentic, commitment to this uh, and, and understanding why it's important. And, and so we have had a lot of dialogue with that over the years. And, and I can tell you, it is authentic commitment at Medtronic. And we've made a lot of progress. You pointed out some of these awards, uh, but more important than those awards, you know, our employees, they, so they say it feels right. 
That's great. And Neil, I'll, I'll count on you to jump in to provide any con Canadian context or experiences on any of these questions. Yeah. Well, I, I think, um, you know, it, it's, it's been a very natural progression for us. Um, you know, 50% of our leadership team uh, is, uh, you know, women. And it's just a natural thing because they're great leaders and they, they uh, provide um, great perspectives and challenge us to look at things differently. Um, but we also, um, our head office is in Brampton, which is a very, very diverse place. And uh, we want to reflect the communities that we serve. And, uh, and so it's, again, it's been a natural as we hire employees um, that they're very uh, diverse. Um, and uh, yeah, we're very proud of all the uh, awards that we've accumulated in the last year, particularly uh, more than 10 uh, awards. I think Jeff gets tired of uh, all the stock uh, wire reports from Canada. But uh, we're going to. No, no, I don't, Neil. Keep it coming. It's good. <laughs> Great. Thanks. Um, I loved your story about the ventilators and what you did in the pandemic. But I think the thing that keeps most healthcare leaders up at night is the shortage now of healthcare workers that's likely to persist for a while. Uh, do you see anything in your own pipelines or your own approach to innovation? that will help us get through what are predicted to be acute shortages of for sure nurses, for instance, and other allied health professionals, and maybe even doctors over the next five to 10 years. Uh, do you want to take this one, Neil? You want to start? Sure. I could, I could start. Um, uh, you know, we, we can't uh, solve the, the whole problem, of course, but uh, we do have some important suggestions and, and uh, uh, one of them um you know, starts with looking at the way we do surgery. Um, you know, there, there are, I'm sure you're aware, Sarah, from your hospital, there are a number of minimally invasive approaches to surgery. Um, and uh, that, that allows a small incision, less bleeding and infection, and ultimately a lower uh, hospital stay and, and a speedier recovery. And, uh, in, you know, we, um, as Jeff outlined, uh, we serve a very broad array of uh, conditions um, and surgeries. And, uh, you know, so we, we would posit that um, a greater commitment to minimally invasive surgery in Canada, uh, which where it's still uh, very much underutilized, uh, will help to alleviate some of the pressure on hospital beds and on uh, nurse uh, staffing. Um, another thing Jeff talked about is remote uh, or virtual care, um, which, uh, you know, um, I, I think is already having a very positive uh, impact. Um, and, and uh, you know, a good example um, in Canada that, that we use a lot is, um, you know, the remote uh, access uh, to patients with devices, whether pacemakers, defibrillators, uh, wearable insulin pumps. Um, that, that allows, um, you know, the profession, the healthcare professional direct access um, to um, the patient's uh, data and, and can often obviate a routine visit uh, to the hospital. Um, also, um, you know, Jeff hasn't talked yet about this, but uh, we would foresee over the next decade um, a real revolution in the use of robotic assert, uh, surgical assistant. Um, and uh, we, you know, we're uh, we're in the process of launching 
uh, three platforms right now. Uh, and uh, while that doesn't um, replace the surgeon, uh, you know, it, again, it may reduce the need for uh, assistance in some cases. Um, and, uh, you know, ultimately, um, it will allow more minimally invasive approaches. Uh, and and uh, we really are aiming to demonstrate better value, as Jeff also emphasized. Jeff? Yeah, I, I, yeah no, I think you got the three things. I mean, the miniaturization uh, of technology allows for less invasive. So, like our pacemaker now, one of our pacemakers is the size of a paperclip, and it's in, it, it's implanted with a with a catheter versus a, a, a surgery surgical procedure, and that the the, the much lower complications, uh, shorter hospital stay. You know, um, you are replacing heart valves now. You know, with catheters, and and so this miniaturization and less invasive approaches is is, is here. It's now, uh, and it'll continue to uh, uh, we'll continue to do this miniaturize our our products and, and, and in less invasive ways to um, utilize those. The, he mentioned um, robotic, uh, robotic surgery, you know, so in, in whether it be orthopedic surgery or soft tissue, like general surgery, even cranial surgery, you know, we're finding that the, you know, the, 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 the incisions are much smaller. The, uh, the cut to close time is much, is much less and uh, hospitals, the length of stay is shorter, complications are less. And this is, this is going to be a trend that's going to play out over the next, you know, you know, couple of, you know, 10, 20 years. And then the third, which is, and, and, and so those are well on their way. The third one, which is, is something that we're working on is more in development is, is more remote monitoring of patients with sensitive and specific data. You know, I, so many healthcare systems that I talk to say, look, help us with building a bridge. We got patients that we can somewhat you know, come in with their Apple Watch and their Apple Watch data. We don't know what to do with this. And, and it's hard to make clinical decisions from this. That could be part of the puzzle, but we need more sensitive and specific data and, and, and something that's always on, if you will. We've got sensors that could be placed on the skin or just under the skin. Uh, and, and we do clinical work that would allow uh, physicians to make clinical decisions off this to avoid uh, unnecessary hospitalizations, to avoid unnecessary escalation of, of issues, and then route those patients to the right place at the right time. This is something that there's a lot of work to be done on. It's not here and now yet, but it's we're moving in that direction. Great, comprehensive answers. I don't know if anybody's gonna put any in the q and I have a, a lot to try to get through, so uh, we're okay even if none come forward, but... Um, you know, we've all sat around a lot during this pandemic. Many of us put on 20 or more pounds or had too many glasses of wine. It, it sounds like many and, uh, and now have an exhausted workforce. And so I think many of your innovations will help us deal with the physical illnesses uh, that we had before and maybe that have been exacerbated. The, the next pandemic, though, is the mental health one. And uh, this will have impacted us uh, already and in, in, in a world where there was already a lot of pre-existing mental health conditions. Just wondering, is, is this an area that Medtronic is uh, getting into or any thoughts about uh, the future of mental health diagnosis or treatments and your own approaches to, uh, to business? Maybe I'll start uh, and ask uh, Jeff to follow, but um, you know, I, I think one thing during the pandemic that's been tough on mental health is all the patients that haven't had access to care. I, I think that's been uh, very challenging. Um, now, while we're not a mental health uh, company specifically, 
We do work a lot in uh, neurosurgery on specific uh, chronic conditions. Um, uh, we, we uh, you know, for example, chronic neuropathic pain um, and, and uh, also the, the related uh, opioid addiction issues. Um, you know, we do have technologies that address that very effectively, um, which, which are underutilized uh, in Canada. Uh, we talked about minimally invasive procedures, which I think that also helps patients uh, with mental health if they get out of the hospital faster and return to productive lives. Um, and also, um, you know, we, we haven't talked that much about the administrative burden but um, we, we do have uh, teams that assist uh, with the administrative burden and, and getting patients uh, you know, to flow uh, through the hospital more quickly. Um, so these are maybe peripheral things, uh, Sarah, but uh, certainly we've, uh, during the pandemic, we've worked very closely with our employees, with the Canadian uh, you know, Mental Health Association. And I think just, um, better communications, more frequent communications, use of things like, uh, like humor uh, and, and uh, just showing uh, more TLC for our employees has been really, really important for mental health uh, you know, during the pandemic. Jeff? Yeah, look, I, I think you covered it. I think you know, from a therapeutic perspective, we're, you know, Neil talked about some of the, we're on the periphery of this at, at best. Um, you know, and what we're doing is just like many of the folks on the call here uh, and yourself, you just you lead an organization with lots of different employees, some of which have, you know, been at the uh, haven't been able to stay at home during the pandemic and have been on the front lines and some of which more some of your administrative people may have been more remote. But, um, you know, and just working with uh, providing extra benefits. Uh, and uh, for our, our employees and, and um, having a lot, stepping up the communication with them and training our managers on mental health and issues and being sensitive and aware. And, and, and so really just working with our own employees has been the biggest thing we've done. But I agree. I'm, I am concerned about this. We hear about it all the time. You know, our employee surveys that we do, um, you know, every six months, and we've been doing it more frequently during the pandemic, it indicates that, that people are stressed and it is a concern. Thanks for that. I haven't seen Matt's face, so maybe I can get uh, one more question in, which is a really important one. Jeff, you've, you're just back from Europe. You've thought a lot about the rapid adoption of innovation post-COVID. As Winston Churchill famously said, you should never let a good crisis go to waste. What can Canada do to leverage the learnings from the pandemic and rap more rapidly adopt innovation? Well, I, I think, you know, like I was in Italy uh, in advance of the G20 that's gonna, that they're hosting, as part of what they call the B20, the business 20, creating, um, you know, working with colleagues across the life sciences industry to co recommend policies to the G20 governments uh, for, you know, life sciences industry and healthcare. And, and, and a, a constant theme is you know, don't waste this crisis. There's, um, you know, you, you've got uh, healthcare is front of everybody's mind. Uh, and everybody, if they didn't already know, they're, they're reminded of the importance of healthcare to, to society and, and to economic to the economics of society as well, but also the role of technology. I mean, the vaccine was a miracle, uh, you know. And I know there's some controversy around it, but my opinion is it's been it's been a miracle and and has allowed us to you know it will allow us to get back to normal life, and we're heading in that direction. And um, so that's technology. But there, 
you know, and, and, and so people are really keen on the adoption of technology to solve some of these problems. And, and so, you know, and, and governments are doing stimulus packages and things like that. And, and healthcare is as part of many of them and the adoption of technology is part of it. And so I think we've got to uh, take advantage of this time to accelerate the adoption of technology in responsible ways. That's why I think the value-based models would be, you know, adopting it with value-based models would be ideal. I know that's a lot though, new technology and value-based models at the same time, but I, I do think that would be the ideal. And that's, that was really the message that we are getting across the governments. And, and, and quite frankly, the governments of the G20 were very excited about this and more open to healthcare as a strategic investment versus kind of healthcare as like a kind of a necessary cost. And there's a big difference there. And, and the link between health and wealth uh, and the importance of technology. So we are really uh, working with governments to show them this and, and, and give them these examples of like the pill cam I just talked about for colonoscopies and, and the, the impact of robotic surgery and, and, and minimally invasive of, you know, the, 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 our tiny pacemaker and how that works, remote technologies and all of these things and the impact they're having. And then governments are saying, okay, we want more of this. How do we adopt this? And they're entering much more collaborative conversations with us. And so when I say us, I mean industry. So I think I would encourage everybody here to, to join that uh, in, in your own way, uh, join that dialogue um, uh, and, 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 and move, move, move quickly here. Thanks. I, I see Matt, which means I've got to hand it over to him. Over to you, Matt. Thank you, um, everybody. Uh, so the, the pill cam, I guess next is the uh, getting it to do a, a biopsy as well. That would be an interesting thing. Um, so thank you to Medtronic, Jeff, Neil, and Sarah. Um, before we get going, October, we will be featuring uh, Vivek Goel. Uh, who is currently the president of the University of Waterloo, uh, but he will be joining us as the chair for the expert advisory group on pan-Canadian health data strategy. Uh, I hope everybody has a great day and we will see you soon. Thank you very much. Have a good day. Bye. Thank you very much. Bye. Thank you.